Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, this won't come as a surprise to anyone. We're working remotely this week because, like the rest of California, we're adapting to the new reality of shelter-in-place that's now in place throughout the state. We're still able to work. Producing a massive amount of breaking news about the coronavirus's impact on child care schools and on higher education. And despite efforts to flatten the curve of the virus's spread, Governor Newsom is warning that without extreme interventions, half of California is at risk of being infected. So it'll be a long time to return to normalcy. John, by any standard, this was an extraordinary week in California. By the end of the week, all but a handful of small rural districts in the state's nearly 1,000 school districts had closed, and all of the state's public colleges and universities had ended most in-person classes and were planning to switch to distance learning. Next week, we'll take a closer look at what's happening on the post-secondary landscape, but this week, we'll look at elementary and secondary education, with 6 million students effectively confined to their houses, not for days or weeks, but potentially for months. You know, it was in an offhand remark at the end of a press conference earlier in the week, Governor Newsom said that schools should expect to stay closed for the remainder of the school year. So for school districts that had agreed voluntarily to close for, you know, two or three weeks in the hope that they'd be back in business, that has been a sobering message. Yeah, John, that came as just an incredible shock to many people. I think very few people were actually expecting that. But Governor Newsom explained that he had to tell his own daughter that. Daughter was very upset, was throwing her stuffed animals around the room, and he had to spend an hour with her trying to calm her down. And he told his daughter that it might be months that she'd be out of school. He had an obligation to be honest with parents and students that the same thing would apply to them. Newsom is now asking the federal government for more funding for technology investments in the schools and grants for teachers to get them up to speed on digital instruction. But no one is sitting around waiting for that money to trickle down from Washington. Thousands of educators throughout the state are scrambling to figure out how to prepare for distance learning quickly at a time when most teachers and staff are also at home. The logistics will be daunting for many, but the state wants schools to continue to offer what it calls high-quality learning instruction in some form. Governor Newsom made that clear in an executive order last week, and State Superintendent Tony Thurman elaborated on that in guidance that he issued this week. Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the State Board of Education, that many of you know from her work as president of the Learning Policy Institute and as a Stanford professor for many years before that. Linda was intimately involved in creating the guidance, and uh, we're pleased to have her on the line. Welcome, Linda. Thank you very much. So let me just ask you, I mean, this is an unprecedented situation. I mean, virtually every education institution in California, both K-12 and higher ed, is closed. Uh, Just lots of anxieties out there future very uncertain. I'm just wondering whether you have any thoughts that you'd like to share, any words with, uh, you know, all the people who connected to the education system in California. Well, you know, this is unprecedented. We haven't had uh, a set of closures like this since the Spanish influenza in 1918. So it's been a century. It's been amazing to me as we tried uh, to pull together guidance and resources for school districts in this serious time, how creative and committed 
California's educators are uh, and how many are actively involved in problem solving. So I, I want people to know that the state is going to double down to support districts and kids in their learning and their access to meals and access to childcare. There's a lot of work going on to provide resources, and we're going to try to facilitate sharing. Let me ask you about one of the key challenges or issues on the table, and this is the whole issue of distance learning. I mean, the governor in his executive order said he's expecting schools to provide some kind of education, a high-quality education, I think it says in the executive order. Are schools really able to do that? I mean, what are the expectations at this point? Schools are differentially ready, but there are schools in California that have put together an entire distance learning curriculum. Los Angeles partnered, uh, as is San Francisco, with public television, which has a curriculum and lesson plans in every grade level uh, online, but there's also online resources set up for the standard coursework. San Diego has put together a whole set of resources and plans for it. Riverside County and other counties and districts put together a distance learning guide and resources. All of the A through G courses are online. We've published those resources from the Department of Education. The online courses from the virtual high school that National University runs is going to be made available for free to anyone. People are stepping up. Corporations are stepping up to provide free devices and Wi-Fi. We're looking into ways to be sure that communities that don't have broadband uh, get it through everything from mounting Wi-Fi on school buses to the free Wi-Fi that many uh, partners are going to be providing. Uh, So it's a work in progress. So, Linda, the example that you gave of San Francisco and PBS, which uh, is a good partnership, but that points to the question, should districts be thinking about the next several months as enrichment learning and new opportunities to explore things they haven't been able to do in creative ways or a continuation, a completion of a, an interrupted semester and also even perhaps with grades and the like, or is that just not possible? Well, I think people are adjusting their thoughts about this because many folks initially thought they might just be out of school for a couple of weeks. And what we're hearing uh, from Center for Disease Control, from epidemiologists, is that we may be in for a couple of months of social distancing. And uh, that really changes the frame. My advice would be to include enrichment because this is an opportunity for kids to do some different things. Um, And the PBS curriculum is a really interesting one in that regard. But there will be, particularly for high school students, their districts will be concerned about how they can finish out certain kinds of coursework that are needed for college. And that's why we wanted to be sure that we got those resources for the curriculum out there so that people can also continue to make progress. Because California adopted Common Core Curriculum in Math, English, Language Arts, and the Next Generation Science Standards, there are curriculum available nationally to continue at the grade level in each of those areas. And so it is possible to support kids to continue to move through the content. The question of equal access has come up constantly. I know that districts are concerned about it, whether or not students with disabilities will be able to access 
this material that others can online and also uh, equal access for students who don't have Wi-Fi or computers at home. And you mentioned there are creative ways, uh, hotspots, mobile hotspots and the like and uh, to, to, to deal with this. But nonetheless, I know districts are concerned that if every student can't do this, they can't really continue with a course with grading and the like. What are your thoughts about that? The need for students who have a variety of different learning differences is going to obviously vary. Some kids can engage in the content in the same way, using the same vehicles as others. We've encouraged uh, educators to think about how to vary the mode of transmission as needed. It can be for some kids, it may be you know, working out of hard copy materials. For others, it may be online. We don't want anyone to think that they should do nothing if they can't do the same thing for everyone. There are lots of, again, shared strategies that are being communicated across districts for working with students with disabilities, resources that are available for working with students who are uh, not native English speakers. So these are serious issues, but they are being tackled in some very creative ways. Let me just ask you about what you think this means for the whole reform agenda that California is really in the middle of. You introduced a lot of landmark legislation that you've, you've been a big backer of, the local control funding formula, a whole new accountability system. And now we won't be testing kids this year. I mean, the goal of all of this was to improve education outcomes. Uh, do you have concerns that this is obviously it's going to have a major impact on interrupting that whole, this whole process? Well, certainly we're going to be interrupted in, um, in our process, as will every state in the nation. But the improvement of education, which got planted with the local control funding formula, the new standards, the new accountability strategies, is pretty deeply planted in California. And we will probably find ourselves rethinking some things as a result of the disruptions, but not in any way abandoning the progress that has been made. And I hope the reflection that comes from disruption will cause us to, you know, double down in the most productive ways. We've been talking with Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the State Board of Education. Thank you so much for your work at this really critical time. And uh, stay safe. You too. Of course, it's one thing for the state to issue guidance but the real heavy lifting is going to happen on the ground in schools and communities across the state. So for a district perspective, we're turning to Long Beach Unified, the state's third or fourth largest district with 71,000 students and a district recognized for its academic achievement and a can-do approach. We have on the line Deputy Superintendent Jill Baker. She's been with the district 28 years with a variety of jobs, including chief academic officer, a principal, and a teacher. Welcome and Thanks for taking time out of what I know is a busy week, Jill. Thank you so much. Were you surprised at the prospect of a long closure of it, the governor indicated this week? So, I mean, it's hard to believe that less than a week ago, we were even thinking about school closure, and here we are with huge plans already built to distribute to families and teachers and staff in the next coming days. So we're, we're pretty much on the, the precipice of shifting from a pause in our learning continuity to what's going to take place for all our K-12 students over the next three weeks. So what will you be doing to educate your students during that time or longer? Well, after this week of having a pause in learning continuity, 
Come Monday, our teaching staff will be meeting virtually with their school principals and they'll be receiving all kinds of information and support for moving to home learning opportunities. And we're defining home learning opportunities for the next three weeks as opportunities that are relevant and standards-based and also ungraded with a focus on learning and helping teachers who are, in most cases, teaching from someplace in their home to create the best experience they can for their students under those constraints. I shared with our Board of Education last night that moving K-12 instruction into a completely online setting is very different than moving older students or university instruction. Our classrooms are really at the heart of everything that our, our teachers do in K-12 and in Long Beach specifically. And so we already have staff that are just doing amazing things with students, but it's not like teaching in a classroom the way that they can convene and hold discussions and really bring relationship into the setting that they're in. So they're, they're doing their best, but it is going to be very different. So over the next yeah. three weeks, students will engage in those experiences and we will be creating our next phase plan in case this closure extends to the end of the school year. We're talking with Jill Baker, Deputy Superintendent in Long Beach Unified. I'm just wondering, to what extent are you gonna require students to do this? I'm assuming there are not gonna be any grades or exams. How are you going to engage students to participate in these activities? Sure. Well, we are going to rely on our, our teachers to some degree to make those connections to the students who they know and have known since the beginning of the school year. Um, so beyond the invitation to participate, we're sending out communication to families. And specifically, we had the idea last week to engage very personally with our community in creating daily messages for staff, as well as other adults in the community and families, and then also to do some direct communication with our students. And so on a daily basis, we've been really doing both encouragement and helping the community st to stay connected and to know that we're out there working on the plans, as well as to engage students directly to come to these learning experiences. So the next phase of that will rely on our teachers to make those connections. Do you know what percentage of students have access to Wi-Fi and a computer at home? So that, that information hovers between 87% to 90% have access. And so when we break that down by families, we have ordered about 5,000 hotspots and we'll distribute a Chromebook to every student who doesn't have a piece of technology that they can take home with them. Um, that process has begun. I did want to just ask you about one other thing that school districts are expected to do, and that's to provide supervision, childcare for students who really need it. What is your understanding of what you're expected to do and what will you be able to do in this area? Right, so we actually operate our own Head Start in the Long Beach Unified School District to the tune of about a $25 million a year program. And we operate child development centers along with some fee-based preschool programs and an Educare infant, toddler, and preschool center that, that has 191 students or about that attend there. All of them right now are shut down pending further decisions. And we have not opened our schools up to any childcare facilities outside of our, our district until we have further notice. That was something on the state's webinar yesterday that 
closed with, to some degree, some difficult information to hear after everything that was said before it. But for us, we're holding tight on the regulations and the advisement about keeping families safe. And we don't think that we can keep preschool and child care centers open while we have our K-12 schools closed. Because the message you got on that guidance was that you were expected to keep, I guess they talked about pop-up child care centers and so on. Right. So we're fortunate in Long Beach that in the community, there are a number of agencies that have decided to stay open. Some of them have taken first responders' children. And so it has not come to a point where we have reopened classrooms or centers for anything for childcare. Well, thank you so much. Jill Baker, Deputy Superintendent from Long Beach Unified. Thank you all. Stay in touch. Well, John, Jill Baker's Comments just kind of underscored the magnitude of the task facing schools and uh, lots of unknowns in the months ahead. And John, I'm just assuming that by the time this podcast airs, a lot will have happened that we haven't referred to in the last few minutes. So for the latest updates, go to our website at edsource.org. In coming podcasts, we'll be exploring the impact of the coronavirus on parents, teachers, and students, and we'll see how students are adapting to the new forms of learning that they'll be receiving. We'd also like to hear from you on what you think we should be reporting on. Yeah, just go to our website and you'll find John's contact information, my contact information, and really, we have a massive task to report on what's happening in the entire state, so I really encourage you to let us know what's on your mind and what you see happening either positively or negatively. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be well. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.